So I'm uh, excited to share with you from the prophet Joel, beginning at the start of the second chapter. As always, you can read along. The uh, passage is printed out in your bulletin, uh, or just hear these words as I read them. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and and do not make your heritage a mockery, a, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Would you pray with me? Loving God, as we hear these words, as we are moved by them, as we are challenged by them, pushed by them, we pray, God, that we would come to them, experience them through the power and guidance of your Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray that you would, in these moments, speak through me, and if need be, in spite of me, so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. So I want to just share a little story that came to mind for me as I was preparing this week. Um, Some years ago, I worked for Apple um, in in New York City, and um, for a few months, actually, I helped lead this new overnight experiment. I say experiment because... It, it, well, yeah, you know, they're not still doing it. Let's just say that. Um, but it was fun. I mean, if there's a city that you need to live in to do an overnight shift, New York is a good one to do it because there's still stuff open all the time. And so it, it was a good experience. I worked with great people and loved it. But sometimes it was really hard. And I still remember this one day, one of the overnight shifts, it was extremely difficult. And I, don't even, I don't even remember the details about it, but I do remember that it was one of those days that I was leading up to it for like a full week. I was dreading this day. And finally it's there. And of course, it was another one of those days I was trying to sleep and really could not sleep well. And I get there, and the day was just as bad as I anticipated, and I was just exhausted. And my friend Stacy came in uh, that morning. She was coming on because, you know, sleeping at the normal time and, you know, all that. But so we went out. She took her lunch break when I was leaving, and she said, hey, come with me. to. We love this little burger place uh, that also did breakfast. So anyways, we went there. And we were sitting, and I was just exhausted and wiped out, and that's when it happened. Somebody's phone rang at the table next to us. 
only their ringtone was the same ringtone I use for my alarm. And I freaked out because I was so worried that I was just waking up and just had to live that whole day over again. Have you ever had that? You're just so tired and you hear a sound and for a split second you think, is this really happening? What is happening? I really thought for a second it had all been a bad dream and I was about to be woken up. And it, I, like, just for a second, I was like, and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, you don't, that's my, that's my alarm. And the thing is, is, so, okay, some of you get it at least. I, that was just a, weird. It was so, I still remember it. And, and, and the thing is, because alarms are, by design, they're startling, right? They're supposed to be. They're supposed to wake us up. They're supposed to get us out of bed. They're supposed to get us going. And here in this passage, I, I kept coming back to the, that language, sound the alarm, and I think sound the alarm is how some people approach this language. Did you, did you hear that? It's not subtle. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble. A day of darkness and gloom, and as if that's not enough darkness, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Let blackness spread upon the mountains. A great and powerful army comes. It's not a pleasant start. And that sounds alarming. So the idea of the trumpet echoing through the land, sounding an alarm, is, doesn't really feel like we're going to a party. But instead, the day of the Lord is coming. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord. Fast and weep. It sounds so heavy and daunting. And even though some of those practices may feel sort of outdated and a little, you know, out there for us, they still call us like a trumpet sounding an alarm to action. I think it also, probably at least in some respects, is connected to Lent, which is why I picked this passage for tonight, and in no small part because of the practices that it, it directly names, and the, con- the concern and the, re- the response that it has. You know, this is a season where we acknowledge our mortality, our need for repentance, as, as many of you participated in the Ash Wednesday service, as the ashes were spread on your forehead, we said to you, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. The truth of sin and the power that it has over us still, or the power we give it still. And so with that in mind, with these images of darkness, perhaps the rending, the tearing of our own hearts, feels like an appropriate response, a punishment, or the weight of all of it, to lean into the disciplines, acknowledging our brokenness, and finally, finally, just focus on ourselves and all that we deserve. Except that's not at all what Joel is actually saying. It's really not, I don't think. And, and I, I want to be clear, and I want to sort of name that even in the midst of the, the darkness and even in the midst of the alarming trumpet sound, and think about what this passage might actually be inviting us to, how it invites us to think about who God is and who we are in relationship to that God, how we live under the trumpets that, let's hear it, the, the, the day of the Lord is coming. We don't know when those trumpets will sound, but we know it's coming. And so how are we called to prepare? As does the alarm call us to fast and weep? Does it call us? You know, what, how are we called to prepare? The first, I think, the first thing I think is that it invites us to focus a little bit less on ourselves and more on others. As Joel was calling out to his original hearers, and, and I would say still to us today, the responses that we are called to aren't that simple, and they're not limited to the personal experience. One of the things, in fact, and I love this image of rending your hearts and not your clothing. 
In the sense that, like, rending your clothing is easy. I'm not going to show you. This is a new shirt. But, but it's like, that's a lot easier than rending your heart. I don't even know how I would do that, except that it becomes this discipline, this, this work of thinking about what's in my heart, what needs to be changed, what needs to be torn up, what needs to be broken down. Are there some protections around my heart that, that I would rather have there than, than feel a broken heart when I witness the suffering of others, or, or that keeps me from even recognizing and seeing the suffering of others? Can, can we tear open our hearts so that our stories, our perspectives, our normal is not the only one we're willing to know or celebrate? Can we rend our hearts so that they love not just those who are easy and convenient to love, but our neighbors? In other words, all people. Can we break open our hearts so that they become vulnerable? So that we begin to love as God loves? I mean, the thing is, is I understand much of Lent is a very personal discipline, but that doesn't mean it's just about us. We seek the growth. We live into it. We find new ways to, to celebrate, to, to remember that we are dust, and to dust we return, and find new ways to live into that and be about the work for God's kingdom. But, but it's not just about our journey, but opening ourselves up to the experience of others, opening ourselves up to loving others and being at the work of God's kingdom. The other thing that I think Joel would have us hear, and maybe this is what I really feel in this connection to Lent, um, is that when Scripture, often at least when Scripture is talking about the, the bleakness and the darkness and the weight and the difficulty, sometimes we take that on in such a way that makes us feel like we should feel that. We should feel the heaviness of that. And don't get me wrong, the Bible talks a lot about ways that, you know, grief is real and these things are difficult, but I think so often what we want to say is that Lent is hard. It should be hard. It should be this terrible. But, but the goal of Lent is not difficulty for the sake of difficulty. Oh, Lent is heavy, but the goal of Lent is not for us to suffer. Lent can be challenging, and though growth is one of the goals, perfection certainly isn't. Did you, did you catch the, the part there? It's almost in the middle of the reading. It follows the lament, the ideas of the, the, the darkness coming, the clouds, the army, the danger, the piercing trumpet sounds, and then, and then it, it's right before everyone and their mom is invited to come together. The trumpets sort of blare this fearful, challenging call, and everybody from the aged to the infant comes together, and this is what it says, yet even now, says the Lord, even now, right after the description of this terrible, even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, rend your hearts and not your clothing, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Even in the midst of that terrible moment, that scary moment, all are called then and now to return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. I think part of what I just want to say is that Lent is not punishment. It's not an imposed season of difficulty for those who deserve it. 
Instead, it's a time that we recognize our mortality, our need for repentance, and the truth of uh, that sin and the power that it still has over us and sometimes the power we still give it. And we recognize these things, again, not to feel super bad about ourselves, but so that we might experience and celebrate God's response to them more fully. And remember, God's response to them is not anger or disappointment or hatred or dismissal. It is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. Lent is not punishment. Lent is a reminder of the depth of God's grace. And we're reminded by those very practices that help us remember our need for it, the undeserving place we find ourselves, which just makes the gift of God's grace is continually given to us all the more incredible. Lent, in other words, is not about how bad we are. It's about how amazing God is. I want to just insert something here, and I know it's dangerous when I stop going from my notes, but here's the thing. Every now and then, John, being the brilliant person that he is, well, most of the time he picks in incredible, incredible songs for worship. I think we can all agree on that. But as I've said to you all before, sometimes the song is just better than the sermon. It happened again this week. Verse 3 of Graves into Gardens. You want this song, you want this sermon in three lines? I'm not afraid to show you, God, my weakness. My failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. That's Lent. It's a reminder that we do not have to be afraid to show God our weakness, because God already knows them. And so the point is not we have to figure them out so that we can be forgiven. It's no, we figure them out so that we can work on them and experience God's forgiveness, because God continues to call us friend. And that's why, that's why, my friends, that's why Lent ends every year, not with a slap on the wrist, not with a list of what you need to sacrifice based on what this experience uncovered for you. It ends with the empty tomb. It ends with resurrection. It ends with the Son of God raised from the dead, not with punishment, but a generosity beyond our comprehension because God is good. And that was your cue. Ready? Okay. God is good. And all the time, even in Lent. (laughs) Amen.